At least 25 Americans confirmed killed by Hamas terrorists. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is in Israel in a show of support. We have the latest. A Hamas official speaking out about the attacks. He talks about the planning for their assaults and Hamas's strategy for Israel's retaliation. The White House again weighs in on the possibility of sending troops to rescue American hostages. What's making rescue efforts so difficult? When will the House seat a speaker? Uncertainties linger within the Republican Party, even after they just barely picked leader Steve Scalise as a no their nominee. Inflation hotter than expected. A new report released today by the Bureau of Labor Statistics details the price increases. The U.S. and two other nations plan to help Ukraine build up its air force. Find out which countries are donating F-16 fighter jets. Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. And I'm Stephanie Cox. We have insights and perspectives on the stories shaping our world. Breaking news, in-depth analysis, and inspiration to power your day. At least 25 Americans have been confirmed killed by Hamas terrorists. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken gave the update this morning. He said that the value that we place on human life and human dignity is what makes us who we are. He added that Hamas has only one agenda, to destroy Israel and to murder Jews, and expressed support for Israelis who continue to suffer at the hands of Hamas. The message that I bring to Israel is this. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never ever have to. We will always be there by your side. President Biden has condemned Hamas for sheer evil. He added yesterday that he'd seen confirmed pictures of children beheaded by Hamas terrorists. The White House later walked back the comments, saying he and other officials hadn't seen such images. The reports of Hamas beheading infants have come from Israeli sources, including Defense Force officials. The ex-account of the Israeli Prime Minister posted images this morning of bloody baby corpses, some burned. A Hamas official on TV talking about the attacks, Ali Baraka, says they were planning the attack on Israel for two years. In the meantime, they made it seem like they were busy governing Gaza. Baraka made the remarks while on Russian TV on Sunday. He also gave a separate interview with the Associated Press on Monday. He told AP about Hamas's brutal strategy for the war. Here are excerpts from both interviews. We made them think Hamas was busy with governing Gaza and that it wanted to focus on the 2.5 million Palestinians in Gaza. All the while, under the table, Hamas was preparing for this big attack. The Palestinian people will be patient and withstand. We have reserves that can last us months. We are not cut off. We held up for 51 days in the 2014 war, and we are ready to withstand many months. But will Netanyahu be patient? Will the people in Tel Aviv be patient in the shelters? Our allies are ready to join the fight if Gaza is subjected to a war of annihilation. 
They will not sit with their hands tied. The government of Israel knows they will open the gates of hell if they try to destroy Gaza and to use non-traditional weapons to destroy Gaza, like American weapons. Baraka says only a small number of top commanders inside Gaza knew about the attack on Israel. He added that allies like Iran and Hezbollah will join fighting if Gaza comes under strong attacks. He gave the interview with AP in his office in Beirut while Gaza was under attack. A congressman says he has personally helped rescue Americans stuck in Israel. Republican Cory Mills is using his expertise from the time he served with the Army while deployed in Iraq. There's still a lot of Americans that are trying to get out, uh, many who've uh, Flights have been canceled or they've actually been stuck into uh, an area that is no longer creating a permissible environment. Uh, so myself, I went in and uh, was, was very thankful to be able to get, uh, for the second time, by the way, I'll just add, helping the Biden administration who has failed to do their job. The first time the Florida congressman took action was two years ago during the Afghanistan withdrawal. At that time, many Americans were stuck in the Middle Eastern country. Mills was asked about reported plans to airlift thousands of Americans out of Israel within this week. He said even if there are such plans, they might not take place if the war intensifies. In Jerusalem, Israelis expressed their welcome to the newly formed unity government. It was organized by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday to lead the war against Hamas. The newly formed war cabinet is solely focused on addressing the conflict. We need to respect each other okay, in the country. We need to respect officials. Um, we need to allow them the space mm -hmm. to operate and uh, bring the security back to where it was and even better. I hope that the government and the decision makers in the army will take responsibility and do everything they in their power to make sure that everything is going on from here going forward done in a different way in a different methods and a different behavior my opinion is that i think that anything that brings a bigger spectrum of voices together in our government instead of one very strong side is a good thing well as we have four sons and sons-in-law in active duty and a bunch of single mothers at home with 11 grandchildren. I really hope that they figure out how to end this ethically, morally, quickly, with the least loss of lives, but in a way that this will never happen again. An emergency government is the proper type of government at this point. We need our leaders, as the people realized before they did. And they've started putting their hands together for love, giving, support, we are all ready to volunteer, to get drafted, and to give however we can. I am very happy. We all waited for this and need to feel trust again, and trust on all levels and sectors of the country. I believe that it is the right thing. I hope that they will do everything so that this doesn't happen again. The White House this morning weighed in on the possibility of sending in U.S. troops to rescue American hostages. Joining us now live is NTD's White House correspondent, Iris Tao. Good afternoon, Iris. What's the White House saying, and what do we know about hostages in the hands of Hamas terrorists? 
Good afternoon to both of you. The Israeli government has said that there are up to 150 people who have been taken hostage by Hamas. And President Biden has confirmed that among the 17 Americans who are missing, there are some of them who are believed to have been kidnapped. And President Biden yesterday said that a lot was being done to rescue them, but declined to go into further details. And the White House this morning said that the U.S. is not contemplating sending in U.S. troops to rescue these American hostages, while noting that it is a top priority. Here's what President Biden and the White House are saying. Watch. The press is going to shout to me, and many of you are, that, you know, what are you doing to bring these, get these folks home? If I told you, I wouldn't be able to get them home. Folks, there's a lot we're doing. Uh, people who are stuck in this situation, it is about the worst uh, condition that you can imagine uh, being taken uh, from, from a place where you're either traveling or live and, and dragged across the border into a hostile situation like this. And so this will remain an, an area of poor focus. The White House told us yesterday that they do not know what condition these hostages are in or where exactly they are, which makes rescue efforts very, very difficult, it said. And yesterday at the press conference, it is noteworthy that National Security Spokesperson John Kirby, when he was asked about if President Biden has ruled out sending in U.S. troops, he said that options are wide open and that no decision has been made just yet. So we do expect to hear more questions on that front at the 1 p.m. press conference to begin very shortly. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Iris. Iran's shadow looming behind the Israel war. Geopolitical analyst Brandon Weikert says Iran brings together the anti-Israel forces surrounding the Jewish state. Weikert is the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. We speak with him about the common thread between the groups calling for an end to Israel. Brandon Weikert, thank you for joining us. A Hamas spokesperson has admitted to the BBC that Iran was involved in the attack on Israel. What could Iran's role have been? Well, it was primarily coordination and supply. Uh, Hamas in 2017, leaders of Hamas and Fatah flew up to Beirut and met with leaders of Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps and Hezbollah, and they officially declared that they would begin planning together what they were calling the, as the Third Intifada. And uh, in my opinion, as I assess in my book, uh, in 2020, the Beirut blast that occurred uh, was actually part of a covert operation to stop this attack from happening. They were going to open up a front from the north in Lebanon and then in the south from Hamas, uh, from Gaza. Um, and that Beirut blast was basically detonating um, HMX, which is a fuel used for precision-guided munitions, which was being sent to Hezbollah to launch against northern Israel. The Beirut blast stopped the um, attack from happening, but now they're back at it again. Now, in your book, uh, you mentioned how Iran is bolstering Hezbollah in Lebanon to Israel's north. Um, Hezbollah has already launched mortars into Israel, as you know. What's Iran's connection to this group? Well, it's basically an arm of Iran. Hezbollah is a Shiite militant group based in Lebanon, but it is funded and at times controlled, certainly trained by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. And so that's why we need to be keeping an eye on them because, yes, Hamas is terrible what it's doing, but if Hezbollah opens up a second front, it's a whole new ballgame. And you said Iran brings together Hamas in Gaza, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and Fatah in the West Bank. Yeah. 
Why is Iran doing this? What's motivating them? Because it's part of a larger grand strategy to basically reorder the Middle East that would be to make it more friendly to Iranian interests, to push the Americans out. In order to do that, they've got to put pressure on the Saudis, which is a traditional American ally. So far, it's worked. Saudi Arabia is now partnering with Iran out of fear. And then also the, the Iranians need to destroy Israel, which is seen as basically an arm of America. You destroy Israel, not only uh, are they uh, fulfilling their religious to you know convictions to, to free the Holy Land, uh, but they're also uh, pushing the Americans out by removing that extension of American power. Now you've also mentioned that America must attack Iran if Hezbollah strikes Israel. Senator Lindsey Graham said something similar. There's a lot of concern about what that level of escalation yeah. might lead to. Why do you think that's the right move for America? Right. Well, the difference between me and Lindsey Graham is Lindsey Graham is basically wants to go to war with the world. I'm talking about very specific targeted strikes. If Hezbollah does, in fact, open up a full front against Israel, in my opinion, we will have to deploy American air assets to knock out key logistical hubs that are in Iran and Iraq and Syria that would be feeding the Hezbollah war machine in Lebanon. So that I'm a little bit different from Lindsey in that way because Lindsey wants to target oil refining in Iran, which are still civilian targets. I don't support re regime change in Iran like Lindsay does. I just want to keep it very clear, very limited. If Iran funds Hezbollah into uh, Israel, the second front, we're going to have to help Israel because that is a sign of a larger geostrategic move by Iran against America. Okay, got it. Brandon Weikert, author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Thank you. Thank you. 250 Israeli reservists at JFK Airport had their flight home paid for. An anonymous donor picked up the tab for those on their way to Israel to fight Hamas. The Jerusalem Post's editor-in-chief posted on X that an Orthodox Jewish man waited at the counter of the Israeli airline El Al. He reportedly paid for anyone who showed they had been called up by the Israeli Defense Forces. El Al and Israel Airlines have added more flights to bring reservists back to fight. Israel said on Monday it had called up an unprecedented 300,000 reservists. Israel is massing troops, tanks, weapons and other equipment at the Gaza border. The IDF is expected to launch a major ground invasion into the Strip in the coming days. When we come back, a Michigan congressman leaves the Democratic Socialists of America. His decision comes after the organization showed support for a pro-Palestinian rally. And a Powerball player wins the $1.7 billion jackpot. It's the second largest prize in Powerball's history. More in just a moment here on NTD News. Welcome back. Republicans have chosen their nominee for speaker. Steve Scalise barely won the majority, but there are still uncertainties about his chances to take the gavel, as the full House vote is delayed again. NTD's Melina Weiskup joins us from Capitol Hill with the latest. Melina, tell us where we're at right now. Will the House elect a speaker today? 
Good afternoon, Steph and Chris. Uh, as of right now, it's really unclear whether or not the House will be able to take that vote this afternoon. It was delayed yesterday, again delayed today. And like you mentioned, yes, Steve Scalise only won the nomination by a slim majority, around 113 of the 221 member conference voted for Scalise. That's a far cry from what he actually needs to win on the floor. He needs at least 217 votes to win. Of course, he does not have that at this point. There are still some holdout votes, which Republicans are trying to work out the kinks in right now. They're behind closed doors, uh, meeting in a closed recession to try to get some of those holdouts to change their minds. These are congresspeople like Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, who says she's worried about uh, Leader Scalise's health condition. And then Congresswoman Nancy Mace. And then you have Jim Jordan, who was also running against Steve Scalise for this nomination, now backing Scalise and trying to bring some of his supporters, like Nancy Mace, with him. Here's a look at what they're saying. If it's not Jim Jordan, then you know who else will it be? And I think there are some other names being tossed around, but my vote will go to him, at least on the first round on the floor. Jim Jordan is not out of the mix. I've talked to a lot of people who still support him. I've actually talked to Democrats who, who trust him at his word. Well, I would hope that, um, that, that Jim, Jim Jordan, would talk to some of those folks and, um, and further convince them along, because I, I think Steve, if he's willing to serve and his doctors say he can serve, then I think he, he's more than qualified. We need a speaker, and Steve is the guy for that. And I will, uh, like I said, I've offered to give the nominating speech for him um, when we get back in session, which I hope is soon. So as you just heard, there are still members who are completely supportive of Jim Jordan, even though he has changed his direction and is trying to urge them to support Steve Scalise just for the sake of getting a speaker in that position in a timely manner. Now, with these holdouts still uncertain how they're going to vote, if it does come to the floor at some point today, it's unclear if it will take multiple rounds like we saw back in January. When I asked some members leaving that uh, internal vote yesterday how they felt going into this public full floor house vote, they weren't able to offer any assurance that it wouldn't take more than one try. Take a look. Do you think it will happen efficiently or can we expect to see what we saw in January with 15 or more votes? That I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't unanimous. We did one round. Steve Scalise has the majority. Well, I, you know, I don't predict what's going to happen on this in this Congress, but my hope, of course, is that we can get this done and get on with the people's business. Yeah, I don't know that it'll go in round one, but I do not expect it to go multiple rounds of those who are supporting Jordan. The majority, vast majority, are willing to come uh, uh, over and rally behind the designees. Steve Scalise got 113 votes. That is a majority. But how are you going to convince the other 100 and something of a sudden just say, well, now we're all going to vote for Steve Scalise? So there you have it. That's exactly what Republicans are trying to work on right now behind closed doors, securing those few holdout votes that they do have to ensure that they're able to choose a speaker at some point this week, hopefully. Steph, Chris. Thank you, Melina. We hear the latest on the stalled house from political reporter for the Epic Times, Lawrence Wilson. Lawrence Wilson, thank you for joining us. Republicans nominated Majority Leader Steve Scalise yesterday for the House Speaker position. Will he be the next Speaker of the House? That is still unknown. Uh, Mr. Uh, Jim Jordan, his opponent, still has a number of followers who are strongly supporting him, and they say they're going to take this battle to the House floor. 
Now, some of them, uh, Mr. Scalise has been able to win over, but there are still, we're hearing uh, as many as 20 who will oppose Mr. Scalise. So it only takes five to block that election. And he's been working to win them over. It's just unclear if he's going to get to the number needed, 217, to win this election. And what's the objection to Mr. Scalise as it stands right now? Well, members have raised a couple of things. The major one seems to be, by some of the holdouts, that uh, he seems to be trying to rush the Speaker's election. He was nominated at 1 o'clock yesterday and scheduled a vote on the floor for 3 o'clock. Now, some Republicans balked at that. They said, we need more time to sort this out and figure out where we want to line up. So he canceled that vote yesterday. But really, it seems like they just like Jim Jordan better. Uh, he's known as a fighter. He's leading the fight or one of the leaders uh, uh, leading the impeachment inquiry. So he's uh, tough on the administration. He's a fiscal conservative. A lot of uh, conservative Republicans really just like the guy. And how does the war in Israel factor into all this? Well, to some degree. Now, Scalise has tried to play on that to create a sense of urgency. We need to get back to work quickly, pass a resolution to show the world that we support Israel. And others are saying, wait, let's take our time and do this election right. The administration is empowered to deal with emergencies like this, and they have a certain amount of funding to do that in the short term. So let's not rush the speaker election uh, because of the war. We'll be there for Israel when the time is right, but we can take our time to get through this election. So it's not as urgent as one might be led to believe. What about the continuing funding resolution? Um, when that runs out, uh, it's, ex it's set to expire in the next 36 days here. Yeah, there's two schools of thought on that in the House, at least among Republicans. Uh, one group says, and Mr. Scalise believes, we need to get back to work, pass conservative appropriations bills as fast as we can, finish that process, then force the Senate to deal with what we send over. So it's important to get this done, get the House back to work again. Others say, look, we're going to pass another CR eventually anyway. We're not going to get this done by November 17th. So let's make it a long-term CR. This is what Jordan has proposed, a CR that runs through April but has spending reductions with it. Now, kind of ironically, that's similar to what Kevin McCarthy proposed uh, a little while ago, a short-term CR with pretty steep spending cuts, and members didn't go for it. Sounds a little bit like deja vu. When will the election for House Speaker take place? And what should we expect to see when it does? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, unknown and unknown. Now, one member told us the election was going to take place today. Uh, but Mr. Scalise, I think, is pretty intent on getting to the required number. 217 is the number of Republican votes he needs. So that could be delayed. We don't know. What will happen? Well, one of two things, most likely. Either it will sail through and Mr. Scalise will be the next Speaker of the House, or we'll have a little deja vu again as there's a floor fight among Republicans like we saw in January with the election of Kevin McCarthy. All right. Political reporter for the Epic Times, Lawrence Wilson. Thank you. Thank you. Inflation remained elevated in September. That's according to the latest Bureau of Labor Statistics CPI report. 
The consumer price index rose more than expected at 3.7 percent year-over-year and 0.4 percent month-over-month. For a deeper look at the report, NTD Business host Don Ma talked to an economic analyst. And here to talk to me about the latest CPI inflation report is Mark Hamrick, Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate. Uh, so Mark, headline number 3.7 for the year, uh, 0.4 for the month. Just first to start off, what has been your initial reaction at this time? Don, good to be with you. Uh, we look at these numbers through a number of different lenses. Uh, and I think, you know, we think essentially about the shocking aspects of inflation that have been with us over the last couple of years. The good news is that inflation has come down from its peak. The headline number on this consumer price index was a little hotter than expected, and that translates then to the year-over-year -year increase of 3.7%, the core rate year-over-year, -year, excluding food and energy, up 41 so what can we take away from that? First of all, obviously well down from the peak of June of last year, 9.1%. That's falling a long way. Uh, we had contributors in the energy sector, both with gasoline and electricity prices. And it's interesting, the year-over-year -year increase in food prices is exactly the same as what we're seeing with the headline on the CPI. Uh, we're looking for inflation to continue to come down, but it could be 2025 before it actually sort of sinks into that Federal Reserve 2% inflation target. Would you categorize that as inflation uh, being hanging around for longer? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the great Benjamin Franklin in our country uh, once said that fish and visitors stink after three days. Uh, I think that you could say maybe the same about inflation uh, when it's elevated. Uh, and I, I do want to point out that, for example, on that headline number or, or, or the core number, again, headline 3.7 year over year, 4.1 with the core. Well, that's below uh, what we saw in the September employment report in the sense of the increase in average hourly earnings, which was 4.2%. So uh, if we're getting wage increases that are now, you know, very slightly, and we're talking about essentially the entire workforce, uh, outpacing uh, what's going on with the increase in uh, prices, then that's welcome. But we also think about the fact that it's more like, you know, sort of exiting uh, the hospital after having been in recovery for a while. Uh, we still have some work to do with respect to restoring balance. All right, just one final thing. And uh... It's, uh, do you think we're going to uh, have a soft landing? Mm. That is the multi-trillion dollar question, isn't it, Don? Uh, I, think, I think the odds favor a soft landing right now. Uh, the uh, unfortunate thing is we can't really predict the future and all the events that could influence that, including uh, this war uh, in the Middle East. The risks of recession remain elevated, uh, certainly far from a sure thing over the next 12 months. The economic cycle is real, meaning that we go through periods of expansion and we go through some periods of contraction or recession. So the next one need not be nearly as severe, but like everything else, uh, we'll have to wait till we get there before we know what that actually feels like. Thank you so much today. Yeah. Mark, pleasure speaking with you. Good to be with you, Don. Thank you for having me. And next up, we have some short headlines. Congressman Sri Tanadar from Michigan has renounced his membership with the Democratic Socialists of America. His decision came after the organization appeared to support a pro-Palestinian rally in New York City just one day after the Hamas surprise terror attack on southern Israel. 
the first-term congressman announced in an October 11th statement, after the brutal terrorist attacks on Israel, which included the indiscriminate murder, rape, and kidnapping of innocent men, women, and children, I can no longer associate with an organization unwilling to call out terrorism in all its forms. House Republicans are threatening to subpoena former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. The lawmakers allege that Cuomo is stonewalling oversight into his state's pandemic nursing home policies. The Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic points out that around 15,000 elderly Americans died while the policy was in place. The former governor has failed to produce any documents or communications related to these policies. New York lawmakers are looking to restrict what social media platforms can do with minors' personal information. The Stop Addictive Feeds Exploitation for Kids Act aims to give families control over what content appears on their children's feeds. Under the proposed law, minors would require parental permission to turn on suggested feeds on social media apps. The second bill being proposed is the New York Child Data Protection Act. It would prevent social media companies from collecting, sharing, and selling personal data about minors without informed consent. More than 8,500 members of the United Auto Workers are on strike at Ford's largest plant in Kentucky. Ford has rejected more con concessions in the contract negotiations. The Kentucky trucking plant generates $25 billion in annual revenue, about one-sixth of Ford's global automotive earnings. The strike also sends a warning to General Motors and Stellantis, which are already short of Ford's wages and benefits offers. The total number of assembly plants affected by the auto strikes now stands at six for the Detroit Big Three. Someone has won the second largest Powerball jackpot in the U.S. The estimated $1.7 billion went to one lucky player who bought the ticket in California. There hadn't been a grand prize winner of the jackpot draw since July. Next Saturday's drawing is worth $20 million. According to the official Powerball website, the odds of winning the jackpot are 1 in 290 million. The Social Security Administration announced a 3.2% increase for its annual cost of living adjustment for 2024. The adjustment will begin next January. The increased payments will be payable to more than 66 million Social Security beneficiaries. Approximately 7.5 million SSI recipients will receive increased payments beginning on December 29, 2023. Microsoft plans to contest an internal revenue service request for nearly $29 billion in back taxes. The demand is the result of a year-long audit by the IRS into Microsoft's past accounting practices. In the securities filing, Microsoft said the IRS is asking for an additional $28.9 billion in taxes from 2004 to 2013, plus penalties and interest. The company says that the IRS's determination isn't final and doesn't include taxes paid under the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The act could decrease the final tax owed by up to $10 billion. Microsoft plans to appeal the IRS request a process that will likely take several years. A shocking figure in the education sector, the average score students receive on the ACT college admission test reached a new 30-year low. The organization that administers the test says the trend shows kids are less ready for college than before.
The average score is now 19.5 out of 36. Authorities attribute the fall to adjustments made to schooling during the COVID pandemic. But ACT scores have been on the decline for six straight years, long before COVID. Also, many experts say standardized tests are not good predictors of college success. The University of Chicago found high school grade point averages are five times better at forecasting success. Many schools, including Harvard, no longer require applicants to submit standardized test scores for admission. The college admissions scam that came to light in 2019 also shined a light on how some students can cheat on the tests. Speaking of schooling, a Florida school district is catching up with the state's move toward a more conservative school curriculum. The Miami-Dade School Board approved new social studies, history, geography, and civics textbooks for grades 1 through 12. They'll go into use in the 2024 to 2025 school year. New legislation signed by Governor Ron DeSantis bans public schools from teaching that a person is privileged or oppressed based on race or skin color. Up next, guilty on tax fraud charges. The amount in question, almost half a billion dollars. Find out if the former Formula One boss got any jail time. A major firm in Australia leaked confidential government tax plans. This week, the chief executive appeared before senators. That and more when we return. Welcome back. Some updates around Asia. China's silence about the Hamas attacks is causing concern about Beijing's role in Middle East politics. An official state newspaper printed an article warning the U.S. about interfering with China and Taiwan, saying China will then mess with Israel. Chinese leader Xi Jinping's recent meeting with Mideast leaders has gained international attention. China supports the establishment of a Palestinian state and said they are concerned about escalating tension between Israel and Palestine. However, no clear condemnation of Hamas terrorist attacks. When Israel asked China to officially denounce the attacks, the CCP's foreign ministry refused. Officials from the Palestinian Ministry of Foreign Affairs thanked China for its long-term support of Palestine and said Palestine trusts the CCP. Beijing says it sent fighter jets to the Taiwan Strait as a warning to a U.S. Navy patrol plane. The U.S. Navy said it was operating in accordance with international law. It said the aircraft's transit demonstrates its commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. Beijing dismissed the flight as public hype and responded by sending their own fighters. The communist regime claims Taiwan as its territory despite never having ruled the island. It stages almost daily military activities in the seas and skies around Taiwan. Taiwan is keeping a close eye on the conflict in the Middle East, looking for lessons amid China's intimidation campaign. Taiwan's defense minister said the Hamas-Israel war blew up so suddenly it prompted Taiwan to increase its ability to forecast possible threats. He said a working group was set up to study and strengthen intelligence gathering. A U.S. aircraft carrier has arrived in South Korea. The USS Ronald Reagan and its battle group arrived at the port of Busan in the country's southeast. The arrival is a demonstration of strength to North Korea following regime leader Kim Jong-un's recent push to bolster ties with Russia. 
The vessel and its battle group joined a joint exercise between South Korea, Japan and the U.S. earlier this week. It's set to stay at its location until next Monday. More from Europe and around the world. Ukraine's prime minister says that the country needs about $42 billion this year and next year. That's for reconstructing from the devastation caused by the war. Meanwhile, Ukraine's president talks about discussions he had with American officials. It was made clear that the U.S. will continue its steady and uninterrupted support for Ukraine with what is necessary for our defense. We discussed how to strengthen our capabilities in defending against Russian terror, drones and missiles, especially as winter approaches. NATO's Secretary General also said he was confident that members of the military alliance would continue to support Ukraine. He says this is in their own security interests. Ukraine says its prime f primary focus is on strengthening its air defense and the most important tools on the front lines, like artillery and long-range systems. The U.S., Denmark and the Netherlands will support Ukraine regarding its air force. The three nations are launching an international coalition to help Ukraine establish an air force based on F-16 fighter jets. The coalition intends to build infrastructure such as maintenance facilities to support the operation of the planes. Denmark and the Netherlands were the first two countries to commit to donating F-16 jets to Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin is now officially on his first trip abroad amidst arrest warrants. Earlier this year, the International Criminal Court, or ICC, issued an arrest warrant against him. He hasn't traveled abroad since. Today, Putin is in Kyrgyzstan, an ally to Russia. Putin held talks, took part in a wreath-laying ceremony, and more. The Russian leader is also due to travel to China next week. Neither Kyrgyzstan nor China are members of the ICC. And in the world of Formula One, ex-Formula One boss Bernie Ecclestone pleaded guilty to tax fraud charges. He was charged with misleading Britain's tax authority about overseas assets worth almost half a billion dollars. The judge gave him a 17-month prison sentence suspended for two years. This means he'll only go to jail if he commits another crime during that time. And lastly, news from Australia. The chief executive of a major firm apologized profusely to senators on Thursday. The firm leaked confidential government tax plans. Those were then used by global companies to restructure their Australian tax affairs. The chief executive called the leak unacceptable. That's as he was grilled on the issue by senators. When we come back, NASA analyzes the first samples from the asteroid Bennu. Besides carbon, the asteroid rubble also holds water, an essential component for life. And the World Health Organization says Europeans need to focus on healthy aging. Diet and exercise reduce the risk of diseases like cancer and diabetes. More when we return. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. At least 25 Americans have been confirmed killed by Hamas terrorists. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is in Israel to offer support. He told Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that the U.S. will always be there. 
A Hamas official was on Russian TV saying the terrorist group planned the attack on Israel for two years. He also said Iran and Hezbollah might join the fight. Biden says he's doing a lot to free American hostages and that he hasn't given up hope. The White House said it's not contemplating sending troops to help with the rescue. The House still in limbo as GOP nominee Steve Scalise looks for votes. His former rival, Representative Jim Jordan, says Scalise is the choice for speaker. The new Consumer Price Index report was released today. Inflation came in hotter than expected. Year over year, the Consumer Price Index sits at 3.7 percent, month over month at 0.4 percent. Three countries will help Ukraine establish an air force based on F-16 fighter jets. The U.S. will build infrastructure while Denmark and the Netherlands were the first two countries to commit to donating F-16 jets to Ukraine. NASA is showing off noteworthy asteroid samples delivered last month, the most the space agency has ever recovered. Besides carbon, the asteroid rubble also holds water. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. The asteroid Bennu is almost 60 million miles away from Earth. Now it's revealing its secrets. NASA's OSIRIS-REx spacecraft collected the samples three years ago. Last month, it dropped them off from an altitude of 63,000 miles during a flyby of Earth. We were very excited about how much material there was and just how interesting the results have been that have already come out of the first 72 hours of analysis. So we're looking forward to getting past the tip of the iceberg and doing our detailed analyses in the coming months and years. The small capsule landed four hours later on a remote piece of military land. Two hours later, it arrived by helicopter at the Defense Department's Utah Test and Training Range. It was an incredibly surreal moment when they opened the sample canister. I was sitting in a room in Houston at NASA Johnson Space Center with a couple of members from the team, and we immediately saw that there was fine-grained dust, that there was dark rock fragments. The asteroid samples are 4.5 billion years old. They're the preserved origin of our solar system. Now this water is representative of what would have been around in the early solar system and could have delivered water to Earth and contributed to our own oceans. We also know that there are organic molecules in the sample. Scientists hope they can help them better understand how Earth and life formed. The first panel there in the upper left, those are the water-bearing clay minerals, and they have this fibrous kind of structure. We call this serpentine, because they look like serpents or snakes inside the sample. And they have water locked inside their crystal structure. Now, OSIRIS-REx is on a mission toward another asteroid, perhaps providing more insight into the early solar system. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Healthy aging, the World Health Organization says getting older doesn't have to mean suffering from diseases like cancer and diabetes. If you stick to the right lifestyle, NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on that. Stephen Whiting believes governments need to start investing in preventing poor health now. The World Health Organization Europe Technical Advisor on Sport and Health says the pandemic showed that healthier people are less susceptible to disease. There's data that shows that physical inactivity, overweight and obesity were a huge risk factor for severe, obesity, uh, severe COVID outcomes and long COVID. Unhealthy lifestyles are also a burden on the healthcare system. 
Poor health in old age is already costing the region billions of dollars. We published a report in collaboration with the OECD earlier this year on the cost of physical inactivity on health systems in, in the, the European Union. And we estimated that 8 billion euros uh, per year could be saved. According to a World Health Organization report, people ages 65 and older should perform two and a half hours of moderate aerobic exercise a week. That's a half an hour a day for five days. This can be a brisk walk. Fitter seniors can swim or jog. Strength training at least two days a week can improve mobility and prevent falls. The main risk factors for non-communicable diseases are physical inactivity, unhealthy diets, tobacco use, alcohol consumption. Whiting adds that non-communicable diseases like heart disease and cancer account for 90% of deaths in Europe. We wrap up today's broadcast with a rare discovery in Michigan. A 100-year-old shipwreck has been discovered in Lake Superior. The World War I-era steel bulk freighter went down in 1923. It was empty of cargo at the time and sailing in heavy fog and smoke from forest fires. It collided with a loaded freighter, Cetus, which was over 400 feet long, almost twice its size. The larger ship tore a hole in the Huronton, and the crew boarded the Cetus when it became clear the ship wouldn't stay afloat. The first mate even had time to untie the crew's mascot and carry the bulldog with him. So it's long been known the Huronton sank, but the wreckage wasn't found until August in 800-foot deep water. The wreck is only a few miles from the Edmund Fitzgerald, which sank in 1975 and was immortalized in song by Canadian singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot. Steph, shipwrecks are just incredibly fascinating. Yeah, if you think about it, it's, it's like a huge time capsule. There must be so much information there. Right, and for scientists, it must be amazing because these things affect the ecology at the bottom of lakes, oceans. That is so true. There must be so much to learn. That's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free, feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. We'll be back with more stories tomorrow.